This recording is a production of Faith Builders. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2013, held at Faith Builders on August 6 through 9. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Are you delighted to be here? How many of you are just thoroughly enjoying yourselves here? Wonderful. So that means you're delighted to be here. Well, I am too. I am so excited that uh, my heart just glows and glows and glows. And I particularly am delighted with what we're hearing in Stephen Brubaker's session. For me, that session time just flies. I just thoroughly enjoy that experience. I'm 60. I have a 16-year-old daughter at home, and if she was sitting in Stephen Brubaker's class, she, was, she would be interested in the pictures. But she's delighted that she can get rid of dirt. And she's delighted that she can spend time with her friends. My wife wouldn't even be as delighted because she, she delights in her quilts and she delights in serving or speaking with our children. And she's really delighted these days because all our children are coming home to northern Indiana beginning on Friday. And my children are scattered from three in California, one in Virginia, two in Texas, one in Ireland, and only one at home. So this is, we're just delighted to have everybody come home. I am delighted with books. That's just me. I was over in the library last night, and while I was delighting in the books, I was also delighting in some people singing. Some girls or young people were singing someplace, and it was coming into the library. So I was doing two delights at one time. And we could go on and on. Those are my delights. Now I want you to tell me some of your delights. What are some of the things you delight in? Thoroughly enjoy. You enjoy traveling. Okay. You like what? Playing piano. You delight to play piano. It's not labor for you at all. Interesting. You love beautiful things. You delight in beautiful things. Great. Yes. Spare time? Springtime. One more. Hiking. You like to hike, delight in hiking. Okay, so with these things that we're talking about here, are these the things we naturally gravitate to, right? Okay, can, you, can a person direct his delights? You think so? I think so too. Okay, we're gonna talk about that, some of that here shortly. The natural things that we delight to are the ones we find us uh, spending money easily or time freely spent. There is a statement of delight in Song of Solomon 2, verse 3, where the Shulamite girl says, I sat under your tree with great delight. She said that of her, her groom, her lover. And it's poetry for, I really, really enjoy being with you, having you in my life. Okay? And we could say all those are natural things. But I would like to call us now to something that's not quite natural, but some things that God drives us to sometimes. This is true. Uh, I didn't make this up. Um, on the table in the hallway outside the gym, you might have seen this book. How many of you have ever read A Severe Mercy? Okay, only two of you. The rest of you have some delightful reading if you purchase this. I would like to read a few things from this book. This book is about two people who were unbelievers, but they learned to delight in each other. They got married, and God got the working on them. And here is what Sheldon, the husband, said as he was coming to faith. This is just a part of a bigger story. He says, 
this was not to be born. I could not reject Jesus. There was only one thing to do once I had seen the gap behind me. I turned away from it and flung myself over the gap towards Jesus. Early on a damp English morning with spring in the air, I wrote in the journal and to C.S. Lewis, quote, I choose to believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in Christ my Lord and my God. Christianity has the ring, the feel of unique truth, of essential truth. By it, life is made full instead of empty, meaningful instead of meaningless. Cosmos becomes beautiful at the center, instead of chillingly ugly beneath the lovely pathos of spring. But the emptiness, the meaninglessness, and the ugliness can only be seen, I think, when one has glimpsed the fullness, the meaning, and the beauty. It's when heaven and hell have both been glimpsed that going back is impossible. But to go on seemed impossible also. A glimpse is not a vision. A choice was necessary, and there is no certainty. One can only choose a side. So I, I now choose my side. I choose beauty. I choose what I love. But choosing to believe is believing. It's all I can do. Choose. I confess my doubts and ask my Lord Jesus Christ to enter my life. I do not know God is, but I do but say, be it unto me according to thy will. I do not affirm that I'm without doubt. I do but ask for help, having chosen to overcome it. I do but say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That's the end of the quote. His wife, her name is, her name is Davy, says, Davy sat beside me while I wrote, full of quiet joy. She had already come to Christ, and she was watching her husband come to Christ. Okay, a few pages later, skipping some things, this is what he is writing again. But we were Christians now. Davy, with the eagerness that was part of her being, was flinging herself into the service of the incarnate God. I, too, was serving him. The morning and evening prayers with Davy, the church, the student group, the challenges that I tried to make implicit in my teaching. Indeed, it was I who in Oxford had seen and written in our journal, it's not possible to be incidentally a Christian. The fact of Christianity must be overwhelmingly first or nothing. And I would no doubt have affirmed that statement still with my mind. Davy was affirming it with her whole being. And Christianity was first in my concerns. Intellectually, I was wholly committed to its truth, and yet I was holding something back. But for Davy, it really was overwhelmingly first. Nothing held back. She was literally pouring out her life in Christ's service. I wanted, but what did I want? I wanted the fine, keen bow of a schooner cutting the waves with Davy and me, just Davy and me in a flurry, happy and loving and comradely on her decks. Well, there was nothing unchristian about that as long as God was there too, and as long as we were neglecting no service of love. But though I wouldn't have admitted it even to myself, I didn't want God aboard. He was too heavy. I'm just going to stop there. You can read the rest for yourself. He goes on, he says, I didn't want to be a saint. Almost none of this did I consciously know, just longings. But for Davy to live was Christ. She didn't want to be a saint either. She was too humble even to think of such a thing. She simply wanted God, almost totally. His service was her freedom, her joy. She loved me, she loved our sharing, but ultimately all there was to share was Christ and his service. I knew it was so with her. She served God and she served our neighbor gladly. She worked hard and long, to my mind too hard and long, preparing for her Sunday school class. If I had done it, I'd have probably have done it without preparation. But the very idea of a Sunday school bored me. 
Davy wanted some of her more obdurate boys to talk to me. It never came about because I did nothing to bring it about. I knew she would be delighted if I were to offer to be a co-teacher of that class. Perhaps God would have been delighted too, and the work of the kingdom furthered certainly would have been sharing, but I did not do it. I felt that with the church and the group and our prayers, I was doing enough. I did not, needless to say, ask myself what I meant by enough. Enough for what? When Davy wasn't reading the Bible to prepare for her class, she was reading it for her soul's sake. She was always reading it, or reading Brother Lawrence or other devotional works. I wanted to protest that it was too much, but how could I do that? It's not possible for one Christian to say to another, you love God too much, nor to say, you're holier than necessary. I couldn't even think such thoughts. They would have been dangerous. I might have seen things. I merely felt a sort of helpless protest I didn't quite like to see her poring over Isaiah or St. John. I think I'd have smiled to see her curled up with Agatha Christie. I knew that everything had to be different now we were Christians, but this different? I may even have to read the Bible less as she read it more as a kind of dumb protest. Some witty tongue defined a martyr as a person who lives with a saint. And I'll just stop there. Well, the title of this book is a severe mercy. There's a quote at the very beginning. It says, no brief review can do justice to the human depths of this book. Okay, I gave you a glimpse here. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But eventually, the husband realized that his wife loved God, delighted in God more than him. And then she died. You can imagine the rest. It's a powerful book. You don't ever forget once you read this. When I think about a person delighting, I think of this. <clears throat> now, God has something to say about this very thing in his word. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119, <clears throat> I would like to read verses 12 to 16 in a, a paraphrase. It says, Blessed Lord, teach me your rules. Now this is a choice. We're talking about directed delights here. Teach me your rules. I have recited your laws and rejoiced in them more than riches. I will meditate upon them and give them my full respect. I will delight in them and not forget them. The psalmist said that. Davy was doing that. We can do that. Verse 47. New American Standard says in verse 47, I shall delight in thy commandments which I love. Now, folks. There's a part of this that's our choice, but there's also a part of this that's God's work. And I can't do it, and you can't do it. It's something that the Holy Spirit works in us. We cooperate together. He does his part, we do our part, and we move together into this. And this is not a dream. This is not just high idealism. This is a living, real experience. And it's some of the most basic and foundational uh, experience you can ever have. And it will carry us through all kinds of difficult places if we can learn to truly delight in God. All right? Someone tell me, what is the first great commandment? Love the Lord. Do we have something to do with that? Absolutely. We choose the love. Okay, if you're at Psalm, flip back to Psalm 37, verse 4. Here again, he says, I'm going to uh, read, um, this time I'll read in New American Standard. 
he says, delight yourself in the Lord. And the rest of that verse says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, guess what? If we delight in God, in all that ultimately is good and beautiful and true, we get new desires in our hearts. And while we're in him, we find all those desires met. And they're not carnal, fleshly desires anymore. They're something better, richer, fuller than any kind of fleshly desires could be. Can you imagine the power of a satisfied, deeply satisfied being? Going on, he says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it, and he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. And you will look carefully at the first place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I think it's very clear that when we delight ourselves in God, we have met the foundational needs of our being and we're qualified then to enter into his service. One more scripture, Isaiah 62. I think a very appropriate prayer for a teacher is, Lord, I don't know you as well as I would like to know you. Would you manifest yourself to me? Would you teach me about who you are? I keenly sense my own sinfulness, my own lacks. I have emptiness in my life. Would you come in and fill it? Just pray that prayer day after day. And God is delighted to hear prayers like that. And you don't ever have to say, if it be your will, Lord. Because it is his will to do that very thing. In Isaiah 62, the very first words are written by the prophet. He's speaking. The prophet says, for Zion's sake, or for what we could say today, for the church's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory and you will be called a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you forsaken nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate but you will be called my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as the young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. I say, wow, what better position to be in? Can you... Uh, that is so humbling to think that well, God would just delight to flood our lives if we open it to it. Who am I? A little worm, a speck. And yet he wants to flood my life and he wants to flood your life and your life. And when our lives are flooded, we become a beacon to all the earth. And in our situation as a school teacher, we become a beacon of delight in a classroom that invites these little children to come to something that they're looking for. They don't even know to ask, but it's what they're looking for. I think that's a very humbling thought. That God is going to be using you and me in a classroom this year to invite little children to come to him. 
I want to have that light as clear as possible. I want to model that so that the students can see there's something in me that they would like to have. You see, God made us in, our, in his own image. We have delights because God has delights. He delights and thus we delight. But you know, God is very much of a gentleman. He stands back. He never forces anybody to take up his delights. He says, I offer myself, and I would love to come in and flood your lives, but if you really don't want it, I'm not going to force myself. And the same thing for us in our classrooms. If God moves through us to the boys and girls, sometimes some of them are going to go like this. And we have to be okay with that. Jesus flooded the lives of his disciples, and yet one of them rejected it. And so we must not play God and insist that everybody get on board. We wish we could, but we've got to be like Christ and not force the issue. Well, wholesome delights are sanctified delights. I was listening to some of your delights here this morning. I didn't hear from all of you, but if you're normal and I sense that you all are, you wouldn't be here. You all had delights. You just didn't say it. Okay? And if those delights are sanctified, you are just mirroring God. We don't have delights. There's something's wrong with all of something wrong with us. Okay, now I want you to start talking to me. I want you to think back to your teachers. What did they delight in? Let me tell you about my teachers. I had a number of teachers, but I'm just going to mention four of them. Mr. Armstrong was my business teacher in high school. He would come into the class, and he would tell us an assignment to work on. And then he would leave the room and go to the teacher's lounge. And I don't know what he did down there. And all we sat in the room, some of us did homework, a bunch of people just goofed off. So what did he delight in? Tell me. Exactly. Did we feel cared for? Mr. Tarrant was our literature teacher. He, d he was interested in seeing us succeed in literature, in understanding and appreciating literature. In fact, when he would grade our papers, he would fold the paper with our names turned down so he couldn't even see whose paper he was grading, so he'd be more objective in his grading. I had him the first year he was a teacher. And I, I only had one class. It might have been my senior year. Then I graduated. But I never forgot this man. Many years later, when, after we were in Texas, we came back to where I went to high school, and I took my family into high school. It was in the summertime, and the building was empty, but it was open. And I took my family in, and lo and behold, Mr. Tarrant was there. He lasted for years, and I had a chance to thank this man for what he did for me. He delighted in his subject, and we caught his delight. He delighted in us as persons, and we caught his delight. And I forever will salute him. Mr. Basor was my history teacher. And he was one of these energetic, charismatic guys who would teach vigorously, walk around. And back in those days, you had to go to school, and you had to wear a necktie and a suit. And he would take off a suit in those hot days, and he would loosen up his shirt collar as much as possible and loosen up his necktie, and he would teach history. And it became alive and real for us. And I was so delighted in this whole thing, in this whole thing. I wanted him to come to my house. So we invited him for supper. And guess what? He came. And I took him out to my cows and uh, got him to get a hold of a cow's teat. And lo and behold, he couldn't get any milk. I could just squeeze a cow's teat and no milk came. He could squeeze it and all he got was just 
Okay, well, that was really something to me. I never said anything that reflected against him. I was so, so impressed. A man who can teach history but could not milk a cow. I delighted in that man. I, I think I have some of my love for history from that man. Mr. Robinson was my geometry teacher. He was a gum-chewing guy. He would often sit at his desk. I can't demonstrate it here. If I was in my regular classroom, I would. He would sit on his chair and put his feet up on the desk and lean back, chomp and chew and He would see me walk into the class and he would say, better days are coming, Chester. <laughs> but this man, Mr. Robinson, if he had a chance to disrespect godliness, he did. And he would make fun of godliness. What did he delight in? Well, you don't know him too well. He delighted in himself and his arrogance. I spent a half a year trying to figure out how to do geometry. The man was knowledgeable, knew what he was doing, but somehow it didn't translate to me. I, I did not know you've got to remember postulates and axioms, and, and you've, got to, you've got to save these in the back of your mind and pull them out and use them as proofs, until about a half a year was by. I guess he assumed that I'm teaching, if you're getting it, okay. If you're not getting it, well, I'm sorry, but anyway. Okay, now I told you about four of my teachers. I want you to talk to me about some of your teachers. What did your teachers delight in? Are you still excited about literature and writing today? Wonderful. I wish I would have a chance to meet your teacher. Thank you. Someone else. It doesn't have to be a positive. It can be a negative. Okay, anybody ever experienced a very poor teacher? Did you? Okay, since you talked before, tell us about the poor teacher. So what was he delighted in? He was invited, he was delighted in himself. And you don't feel good about that. No, you survived. Okay. Okay? More. This is good. Yes. Yes. Okay, he delighted in excellence and in, with some dignity. Yes. Is dignity pride? No. It can be, but it's not. No. Thank you. Someone else? Yes. Wow. This teacher delighted in order and neatness, and if you were disorderly, you paid consequences. Ah, good. So are you probably pretty rather orderly today as a result of that. Is that right? Probably. Oh, good. Had a permanent impact on you. Yeah. Good. Another story.
Okay, this girl had a teacher who had a passion for good grammar and language used well. Okay, I've had her in Bible school and I saw it come out of her. When she wrote, it was that way. It stuck with you. Who was your teacher? Daniel Byler. Danielle Byler. Was it a lady? Let me see. I don't know her. I would like to meet her. Salute her. Okay? That love biology. Okay? You love biology today because your dad is your teacher and he has fascinated you with biology. You like snakes? Could you uh, dissect a snake? Could you dissect a frog? He tried, okay? Okay. But you just love to understand how living things work. Good. I'd love to meet your dad. What's your dad's name? Oh, well, yes, I've already met him. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, folks, you all plan to be in the classroom this fall, right? Your students, my students, will remember us. They will. And they're going to remember us some way, either in some kind of negative way or some kind of positive way. You say, oh, that sounds scary. And it is. But guess what? The good thing is that if our delights are in all the right places, we can enter our classroom with confidence. And if we got some delights that aren't quite at the right places, then we ought to be scared. Because our delights will show through. This teacher who loved cinnamon rolls, they came through. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. I just love what you said. Um, would you be humble enough to tell us what one of those delights were that you noticed coming out in your students? go. Very good. There you go. Wonderful. Wonderful. Do you folks realize the opportunities before you? You permanently affect lives with your delights. Now, I'm not about to stand up here and tell you to get, get busy with it and learn a delight. It's too late for all that. That's artificial. Whatever you are as a person and you delight in, your students will delight. Yes? good question. This young man is courting. He's delighting in a girl. Okay, is it okay for his students to see him delight in this girl? What do you think? Well, of course it is. That's a very natural thing. And all the rest of them are shyly waiting for the day that they can do something like that. But the way you model how you handle this is what's so extremely important. If you uh, treat your girl with dignity, and respect while you delight in her, that's one thing. And they'll, they'll get, they're getting their model for how they're going to court when they see how you relate to this young lady. But if you are inappropriate in how you do, 
then they're learning also how you do your delights. So you're teaching more than academics, you're teaching courtship without you even teaching courtship. And I've, I've uh, had a little experience of this kind of thing. One of the things you might consider doing is getting your girlfriend to come in and talk to the class. They are so fascinated with what you're fascinated with. Here is a girl that you like. They'll never ask you much about her, except the braver ones. But if you can get her there and talk to them, they'll slide down in their seats and they're grinning, they'll smile. <laughs> they don't know what to say, but they are thoroughly enjoying that. Okay. All right. <clears throat> now let's go one step further. This girl's already answered this question, so you can't. She can't answer again. What did your parents delight in? Your dad delighted in other cultures. Are you fascinated with other cultures? <laughs> this girl raised her hand when she, or no, she told us she loves to travel. I wonder where she got that. <laughs> okay, keep talking. This is good. Okay, wonderful. Your mom is reflected in you. Well, guess what? Now your students are going to be reflected in you. So keep it up. Your mom's delight is to be translated into the next generation. This stuff is powerful, folks. Multi-generational. Okay, I need some more. What, were your, what did your parents delight in? Your dad was generous and delighted in giving. And my guess is that's just the way you are, right? You have a weakness in that. I would say a strength in that. You kind of wish your dad wouldn't have taught you all that? <laughs> we won't go any further there. <laughs> okay, I need some more. Yes, I gather that you do too. Yeah, that's a gift, a great gift. My guess is that most of you sitting here have parents who enjoy people, or you wouldn't be a teacher, right? Okay, raise your hand on this one. How many of you have two parents that are basically introverted and quiet? Introverted and quiet. Now, it doesn't surprise me at all. How many would you say that you would have two parents that are kind of extroverted and outgoing? Look around, see? My parents uh, delighted in work and responsibility. In fact, uh, my children are coming home uh, this weekend, and we're going to have a family meeting. And one of the things, we only get together every five years because we're so scattered. One of the things I need to confess to my children are that I passed on to them workaholism. I, as I look around, I think I'm not alone in that. Somehow Anabaptist people are given to work at the expense of some other things sometimes. Now you say, well, you know, we need that because there's a lot of irresponsible people in the world. That's true, I know that, but I think we've overdone this one. I say that in all due respect to my parents. I really value the things that they did teach me. 
Okay. Now, this is a very personal kind of thing for me, but uh, um, part of teaching is investing yourself in other people. And so I'm just going to talk to you about some of my other delights. And I would love if we could take turns, each of us showing us the group, things that we delighted. The first thing, I just love Norman Rockwell pictures. Some of you do too. Would, you, would someone put into words why you delight in Norman Rockwell pictures? Put. Yes. They paint your feelings. Recently, I was able to purchase a book where Norman Rockwell did not just simply paint these, creature, these, these characters right out of thin air. He took pictures of people and then altered them. You know, have you seen his picture on the gossips? How this man starts at the beginning and it goes down through a whole bunch of people? That very first person is himself, by the way. One of the things about Norman Rockwell, he always puts himself in a bad light. Okay? So he starts this and it goes down through his neighbors. And this book shows the pictures of the neighbors, the actual pictures of these neighbors. Until it comes back to him and you see Norman Rockwell going like this. He realizes he started it and now it's backfiring because this lady is pointing her finger at you are the one who started this. I would have shown you this picture. It's not in this one. Uh, it's a very famous picture. One of the things that I do like, I would like to share with you. Um, I just love this picture of his. Norman Rockwell is painting himself. What do you see? What's communicated by that picture? Exactly. Guess what? As teachers, we do that too, don't we? We present ourselves a little better than we really are. You know, here's a mirror, right? That's the way he really is. But you know what? I've found through the years, it's safe to show people who you really are because everybody knows it. We just don't want to admit it, okay? He's caught something about human nature in that picture. And you notice up here, he, he's, he's thinking about uh, a knight. He's thinking about, uh, I don't know what that guy is, medieval times, great people. He's thinking about how great he is. He has all these things hanging up to remind him of how great he is. In reality, He's just this guy. Not even dignified enough to keep his handkerchief in his pocket. And we could go on and on with uh, this kind of thing. I have one of my students sitting here today, so she's, she's going to understand this one. But once a year, I like to read this poem. Because I think it's, it's the best poem in the English language when it comes to sounds. Dolores, which one is it? Hmm? The bells. That's right. She knows. <clears throat> this poem has four stages of life. Childhood, marriage, the heat of the day, and old age and death. Listen. Here are the sledges with the bells, silver bells. What a world of merriment their melody foretells. How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in the icy air of night, while the stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seem to twinkle with a crystalline delight, keeping time, time, time in a sort of runic rhyme to the tintinabulation that so musically wells from the bells, 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 from the jingling and the tinkling of the bells. Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells. Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight from the molten golden notes and all in tune. What a liquid ditty floats to the turtle dove that listens while she gloats on the moon. All from out the sounding cells, 
What a gush of euphony voluminously wells. How it swells, how it dwells on the future, how it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells, 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 of the bells, 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 to the rhyming and the chiming of the bells. Hear the loud alarm bells, brazen bells. What a tale of terror now the turbulency tells in the startled ear of night. How they scream out their affright, too much horrified to speak. They could only shriek, shriek, shriek out of tune in a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire. In a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire, leaping higher, higher, higher with a desperate desire and a resolute endeavor now, now to sit or never by the side of the pale-faced moon. Oh, the bells, 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 what a tale their terror tells of despair. How they clang and clash and roar. What a horror they outpour on the bosom of the palpitating air. Yet the ear it fully knows by the twanging and the clanging how the danger ebbs and flows, how the, yet the ear distinctly tells in the jangling and the wrangling how the danger sinks and swells by the sinking or the swelling and the anger of the bells, of the bells, of the bells, 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 in the clamor and the clanging of the bells. Hear the tolling of the bells, iron bells. What a world of solemn thought their monody compels. In the silence of the night, how we shiver with affright at the melancholy menace of their tone. For every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan. And the people, ah, the people, they that dwell up in the steeple all alone, and who tolling, tolling, tolling in that muffled monotone feel a glory and so rolling on the human heart of stone. They are neither man nor woman. They are neither brute nor human. They are goals, and their king it is who tolls. And he rolls, 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 rolls a pin from the bells, and his merry bosom swells with the pin of the bells. And he dances and he yells, keeping time, time, time in a sordid runic rhyme to the pin of the bells of the bells, keeping time, time, time in a sort of runic rhyme to the throbbing of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the sobbing of the bells, keeping time, time, time as he knells, knells, knells in a happy runic rhyme to the rolling of the bells of the bells, 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 to the tolling of the bells, of the bells, 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells. Now there was a story there. I don't know what you felt inside your heart. But I like the students to hear that once a year. That's just me. Dolores already knew about that for me. <clears throat> Another thing that's about me, I don't know what Dolores would say on this one, but uh, I like to tell stories. And um, Sometimes we didn't get things done because I was telling stories. Tell you what, I'll tell you a story if we get finished in time, okay? I would love to listen to your stories. It's not fair that I just tell all the stories, but we'll see. Another delight that I have is you. Now, I know Dolores pretty well back there, but I don't know the, re the rest of you very well. I know Martina here somewhat, not very well. You know, one of the reasons I'm a teacher is because it pays such high wages. I'm not talking about money now, but I'm talking about other kinds of wages. 
A teacher gets to invest himself in other people. And just as we've heard some feedback with this already today, I get a chance to invest in you, and if I lived and worked with you for a whole year, you would invest yourself in me. Guess what? You only get one of me. I get 50 of you, 30 of you. Every student who is in my life makes me richer. I'm a richer person because I know Dolores Strite. And I'm sorry, I missed your Miriam. I know you somewhat too, and Martina. But the rest of you are making me richer too. I just wish I had more time to interact with you. See, a teacher has a relationship, three relationships. He has a relationship with his subject. He has a relationship with his style, the way he does it. And he has a relationship with his students. And I don't have that relationship with you, except for Dolores. See, a teacher can only teach if he knows where his students are. And I'm just talking out here in the dark. I don't know where you are. I'm risking it. Another thing that I delight in is seeing young people get it. Not only academics when the light bulbs turn on, but they come to convictions and they have some backbones and they love it. And I'll just have to tell you a story about a girl that I had in ninth grade last year that did kind of disappoint me. This girl is brilliant, easy to learn. Her parents have trained her well. I admire their work. And in her uh, high school work, she had to write something on music. And the paper that she handed in, I was impressed with. This girl has an understanding when it comes to good music and music that's not so good. And it was so impressive. I said, would you mind if we would print this in the yearbook? And she says, no, she doesn't want to print it. So I called her dad and I said, um, I was wondering if you could work on this girl a little bit to see if you could convince her to allow it to be printed in the yearbook because it's so good. He said, well, let me see it. So I gave him a copy and he was impressed too. And so he went to work on his daughter. No, she didn't want to have it printed. Do you have any idea why she didn't want to have it printed? Tell me. Talk to me. You're nodding. Pardon? What do you mean by that? In other words, she wrote out of her head but didn't write out of her heart. Well, it might be. That might be. Her dad said, we're just going to have to let it go. He says, right now, in our relationship, I can't push it. Okay? But I think part of it is she has some people around her that if you do anything good, looks like a goody-goody deal, and she was not ready to take the burden of being a goody-goody. Oh! I don't admire that. another young man who has crossed the line. He doesn't care if anybody calls him goody-goody. He's almost too aggressive with his goodness. <laughs> well, I, I admire him. He's not even as gifted in some ways as this other girl. Okay. Can I or you force the lights on anybody? We can make boys and girls behave, but we can never force a delight on them. So how are delights transmitted? You've already talked to me about getting some. How are they transmitted? Exactly. It's transmitted by inspiration. If somebody doesn't want to receive the inspiration, that's up to them. But should we not try because some people won't receive it? No, we do it anyway. Just somebody might. And that's the risk that Jesus took. Jesus says, where your treasures are, there will your hearts be. And so whenever we 
teach our delights. We, we speak out of the treasures in our hearts. And hopefully the boys and girls would say, wow, yeah, I would love that. And then they pick it up for themselves. How many of you have read the recent CLP publication called Secret Shadow? Sad book, isn't it? It's the consequences of no love, no delights. In that situation, the father did not love the girl. You could question whether the mother loved the girl. Did the school love the girl? Did the school care about her? When she went and poured out her heart to her teacher, did the school care? No. This book is about abuse. It's a very sad book. You all need to read it. But listen, folks. We, the students, I mean the teachers and the schools are represented in this group right here. We may not allow anything like that to come out of our teaching. If we have any idea of abuse, we've got to talk to the school board or do something. I mean, that is such a tragic book because the people who could have done something didn't. That secret shadow should not need have been, to have been written. Too many people didn't care, school was included. I don't want that to be said about any of our schools. My wife did not have the easiest upbringing. When she was in seventh grade, I think the teacher wrote on her report card, passed, I'm not sure how this was anymore. Maybe it was something like this, passed on trial to eighth grade because she struggled. And I'm not going to go into why she struggled. But in eighth grade, one of this man's relatives was her teacher. And this Miss Eversole basically took her under her wing and showed her care and love. And she went all the way through eighth grade and not, did not need to go back and repeat seventh grade, simply because somebody delighted in somebody who had a need. My wife will never forget that woman, never. Did she need to? No. She did it because she loved my wife. Can our students perceive whether we like him, like our children, our students or not? Can they tell? Oh, we love all of them, don't we? We love them all. But sometimes they wonder whenever we don't delight in them like we should. And this whole thing of whether or not we believe in them and delight in them makes more difference than we like to believe. And our struggling students need to know that we love them more than anything. I came to school uh, two years ago with coming to know that I'm, there's a boy coming into my class that loves hunting and guns and bows and arrows and all that other stuff, but he doesn't like school and he looks at me like this, you know. Okay, yeah, I, I can see trouble coming in. Okay, I decided right up front that we're going to study leather that year in art. We're going to start from the beginning. I wanted them or their dads to kill a rabbit, take the skin off the rabbit, and then cure the hide. You know, and I would work with them. We got uh, Cabela's and Bass Pro, they have these little kits. No, it's McKenzie, has these little leather kits. And boy, that, this boy was into that, really into that. And then we had an open house, and he brought, at his house, 
his, his bedroom, I was never in his bedroom, but I heard about it. He has all kinds of squirrel skins all over his bedroom. Well, he brought a whole four by eight sheet of squirrel skins at this open house. This was his thing. You know what? That boy really, never, we ne he never really made an issue for me. Because I decided that I'm going to connect with him where his delights were. You know, he wasn't the best student. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't be very happy with his penmanship and his attitude sometimes, but we made it. I'm standing here talking to you. It's about time for me to shut down. I'm going into school next year, this coming year, with a student in mind. It's going to be my project. I'm going to meet this boy where he is. His grades were going down and is down, down. His mother sat at the parent-teacher interview in January, and she says, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know. This boy needs to grow up. And I'm not sure how you make boys grow up sometimes. But I've got to figure it out. Because I don't want this boy to fail. I want to delight in him in some way so we can make it through. So as our teacher's prayer is not to help Johnny behave or help Mary understand, but our teacher's prayer is, Lord, teach me to delight in these students, one by one. Thank you for your attention. You're excused. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.